This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the Norse sagas. You'll see tips for dealing with ghost dads, angry, murderous children, and employees that submit performance reviews with their fists. The creature this time is a nice guy with gold teeth who just wants to serenade you and then give you a horrible skin disease if you don't feel like dating him. This is Myths and Legends, episode 260, Norse Code. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, we're back in the Norse sagas with the saga of Heidrek the Wise. These are legendary, so some of them are based off of real people, places, and kingdoms. Heidrek was called King of the Goths, and I'm not sure how historical that is. Regardless, this story is placed right in the height of the Viking Age, so between 798 and 1066 AD. Heidrek, like his parents and grandparents, are worshippers of the Norse pantheon, primarily Thor and Odin, and will open not with Odin, but with one of his grandsons, who's carrying on the family tradition of being absolutely terrible to mythological dwarves. Dvalin and Durin stood while King Vafurlami inspected the sword. And it's magic, he asked, pointing at them. They were the ones that did Thor's hammer, right? Or as he liked to call him, Uncle Thor, because he was Odin's grandson. The dwarf said, oh, that's interesting to know. They didn't quite catch it the first nine times. Did he want to knock out another two to make it an even dozen? Or did he want them to tell him what it did? The king didn't strike the dwarves as a manuals guy. The king gritted his teeth. Because you're so smart, the dwarves added. This guy had chanced upon them in the forest while they were mining, as they do, and captured them. They were only able to buy their life when he mentioned Uncle Thor, and they maneuvered the conversation to the beautiful magical sword they could make him. Magic swords being like catnip to legendary heroes, he took the bait. They were bound to their oaths, and he vowed to return to collect his sword. And here he was. So, basics, it has everything you asked for, and I'm quoting from the work order here, super ability to cut things good, really strong, stronger than bears, always on fire but won't burn me when I touch it like regular fire, and we also included that racing stripe down the side. It, it's vinyl, in case you hopefully change your mind. Now, about his payment? Vafralami looked up from his sword. <laughs> payment? This was a ransom deal. The dwarves asked, did he hold their oaths fulfilled? They handed him the tablet, detailing the agreement. The stone tablet. He looked at it. Whew, a lot of runes. Yeah, they said he can just go on down to the bottom there and agree to it. No one ever reads it all. Vafralami nodded. Cool, yeah, done. Dvalin and Durin nodded. Excellent. Well, in that case, he should be informed about the addendums to the sword's powers. Addendums? Yeah, it's all right there in the terms of service. They held the tablet up. He was like, they said he didn't need to read it. 
the dwarves winced. Oh, yeah, you should always read the terms of service. Well, there were some safety issues that he should be aware of. Some might call them curses. We call them magical liabilities. First, it can never be sheathed without drawing blood. So be very careful if you want to show it off around people you don't want to kill. Second, it would be the king's undoing and it would cause three great evils. The king shook with rage before drawing the sword and pointing it at the dwarves. He would kill them so that this curse never took place. Oh, that's that's not how curses work, Devalin and Durin said. Also, bye. They both dove toward the rocks nearby, toward the caves that only they knew and in which only they could fit. The sword flashed after them, but it was too slow. The sword was so sharp and strong that it sliced through rocks, but Dvalin and Durin were safe. It did leave that lightsaber-like sear, because, remember, it glowed with fire, so while the king was angry, he had to admit that it was legitimately very cool. He ran the sword along his hand, drawing blood so that he could sheathe it, and made his way back to his ship. He would show those dwarves. He was a grandson of Odin. No curse from some dwarves would be his doom. Three weeks later, he was killed by some berserker named Armgrim. The sword was awesome. It sliced down through Armgrim's shield, kept going, and went straight into the ground, becoming wedged there. Armgrim cut off Vafralami's hand holding the sword, once again, Star Wars style, then finished him off. In that way, the sword passed to Armgrim and his family, and one of its three evils were complete. Hervor had no one. She had grown up in the fortress alone. Her mother had given birth to her, and the only thing she knew of her father was that he was dead. She was the daughter of a Jarl, basically a Scandinavian Earl. When it came to her mother, Hervor had only ever known a woman shut away, crushed by grief, whose life she deemed over before Hervor's had even begun. But Hervor was alive, and she was curious. She followed her grandfather around, a man obsessed with battles and power. She learned his ways. She learned to shoot a bow, to handle an axe and a sword, to wear armor. These things that were cute in a little girl were troubling in a teenager, and a young woman, at least to the Jarl, who wasn't having any more children, and whose dynastic hopes were now pinned on this budding Valkyrie. He was worried that the men at the time might not appreciate her non-traditional interests. Hervor found herself barred from the armory. The one place she had felt at home had been taken from her. She was adrift again. So, that pain flooding back, she decided to help the guards that blocked her way see how she felt. Mainly the pain part. And after she dealt out several broken bones and a fractured skull, Hervor strode out from the armory, armed to the teeth. It took an army to bring her in from the forest, where she lived like an outlaw, because she was an outlaw. She was a bandit a highway person. She killed travelers and existed on the spoils. The Jarl had to pay off several families, giving them the Ware Guild, the man price, for the murders. And it was on the day that she was brought in that Hervor learned the truth about her father, not from the man who spat curses and spit at her as she was bound in a cage on her way to Grandpa Jarl. 
He said she was the result of her mother getting together with the slave. Which, you know, whatever, but he meant it as an insult. She learned the truth from her grandfather, who told her no. She came from a line of kings. Her father had been a berserker. One of the best. So good that he had fought the buddy of Arrow Odd, Viking MVV himself, a friend of the show. Check out episodes 31 A and B. And Hervor's father had won. Kind of. He killed Arrowod's friend, but died in the process, so it's so it's kind of like Rocky going 15 rounds against the champ, Apollo Creed, but instead of a sequel, they both died. Hervor was stunned. She had to go find them. She had to learn more about her father and what happened to him. The Jarl said, yes, oh my gosh. He exhaled. His granddaughter was strong, scary, and has some serious boundary issues because, well, no one had ever given her boundaries. That sounded fantastic. She had to unravel the mystery of her family. Like, don't even wait. Go now. But Hervor didn't leave right away. She went to see her mother. Tyrfing, the sword. Her father had won it from a grandson of Odin long ago, and it was hers by birthright. It was the magical sword we mentioned at the top of the show. Its name is Tyrfing. Hervor would claim it. Her mother had told her about it. She cursed the sword. At the mention of Arngrim, the father, the mother spoke more to Hervor that day than she had for a lifetime. She told of a man, of brothers, her uncles, they had one gift in their family, the ability to kill. And when your only talent is murder, you don't become poets. They were famous for being berserkers. She loved them, but she had never really forgiven the father for leaving her. Violent men met violent ends. Hervor only heard Tyrfing. Here was the sword that connected her to her father, to Odin himself. She left her mother to while away her time in a shadowy room. Hervor still had a life to live. She gathered a crew and left on the ship. Now, months later, she was at the end of a long journey. She sailed the seas of rumor until she made landfall on the shores of history, following her father's last known route here. Off in the distance, the barrows burned. Her destiny awaited. Yeah, hi, she heard from the land below. She looked down from the deck of her ship. Hi. The man said if they were going to raid his village, could he just, like, give them stuff? They didn't need to burn down his house or anything. Hervor's eyes widened. Oh, no, 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 she wasn't going to do that. She had come for the final resting place of Arngrim. Oh, you, you don't want to do that, the shepherd said with a shudder. That barrow? Super creepy. He, personally, the shepherd, had to stay in at night because ghost Vikings, like attack stuff. It's so annoying. Also, those fires, they burn by themselves with hellfire, H-E-L hellfire. She didn't want any of that. Hervor assured him that she very much did. Was he calling her a coward? The man threw up his hands. Hey, if she wanted to go mess with Draugr and the undead, it was her funeral, which was actually pretty cheap and convenient since she would already be in a graveyard. He was going to go home and bar his door, you know, because ghost Vikings. Then he looked up at the ship, scowling at him. Also, regular Vikings. He took off with his herd, 
and Hervor ascended the hill where the body of her father laid. She approached the grave as night fell. A ring of fire ignited all around the crest of the hill. The mound pulsed, and a green-gray hand clawed free from the earth. It bellowed a demonic, otherworldly, who wakes me? Hervor knelt. It was his daughter, Hervor. She had come to pay respects to her father and seek after Tyrfing. With the mention of that name, fire ignited from the ghost's eyes. He rose in the air, and the cold blue flame of hell rose around him. His poor, foolish daughter, she didn't know what she asked. She was going mad on her way to her doom, but he couldn't aid her. Tyrfing had been taken from him by Arrow Odd. Hervor cocked her head. Really? Arrow Odd. The demonic Viking sneered. Yes. Hervor said that, so if, if she talked to Arrow Odd, he would say that. That he took the legendary sword, Tyrfing, the otherworldly, unholy apparition, blinked. Yes. Oh, weird. Because I did talk to him, Hervor said, pausing to see her father gulp. I say see because he was a floating ghost corpse and she could see the inner mechanisms of his throat. It was really gross. He's actually a cool guy if you aren't fighting his friend to the death. He's not a cool guy, Arngrim barked, but Hervor continued. Arrowod said that he recognized a curse when he saw one and between something about a horse and some other guy named Ogmund, he didn't need more curses, so he said he buried the sword with you. He lies, the ghost bellowed, the ground shaking as he did. Yes, yeah, I, I don't think so, Hervor continued. I think that he did leave the sword. I think that you have the sword, Dad. With that, the ground began to break, with fire rising between the cracks. Her ships, the world beyond, were out of view. The ghost grinned and howled, and Hervor stepped toward him. Immediately, the fire died. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay, okay. I have the sword. I have Tyrfing, the ghost said, trying to stand between his daughter and his grave. She ignored him and walked right through him. He was a ghost. He materialized, again, right in front of her. She couldn't take it, though. Please, 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 please. It was cursed. It was a cursed sword from Odin. It would be the ruin of her family, the ruin of her children, his grandchildren. She wrenched the grave open, moved some bones aside, and saw it. It seemed to glow with fire. It was the power of the gods, and she could hold it in her hand. No one could stand against her now, or ever. She wrenched it, dropped the stone lid of the coffin, and the ghost's shoulders were slumped. She took the sword. The ghost said if he could give her twelve lives, he would. He couldn't protect her. He allowed himself a smirk. To come here, though, to brave all that, and take the sword... She was his daughter. She faced the ghost. She said she wished they could have met in life. She wished him a peaceful rest. Arngrim smiled. The fires went out, and the ghost disappeared. From that day forward, the grave was just a grave. Hervor took the sword, met back up with her ships, and sailed for the nearest kingdom.
Oh, you're back. So cool. The Jarl forced a smile. It was a year or two later, when Hervor walked through his door again. She said she had traveled the known world, and the unknown world, maybe been to giant land. She hadn't met anyone or anything that could best her. She was just fighting all around the world, living her best life, but she was back here to see her mom, to tell her what happened to dad, and wait, Hofunder? Was that Hofunder? The man popped out from behind the throne. It was! He was trying to keep it a surprise, but he couldn't help it. He turned to the Jarl. Hervor had been to his dad's kingdom. Some dudes were messing with her sword, and she straight up beheaded one of them and just walked away. So hot. Hervor shrugged with a smile. <laughs> Guilty, literally. The Jarl nodded. Okay, cool, so they knew each other. The request made a little more sense then. Hervor looked a Hofunder. Request? The Jarl said, yeah, he asked for your hand in marriage. Hofunder blushed. Well, yeah, his dad said he had to marry, and he couldn't think of anyone he'd rather be forced into a political union with than with someone he actually loved. Hervor flew into his arms. She accepted. the apple not only not fall far from the tree, but just drop straight down when Hervor has a deliriously murderous son, but that will be right after this. Fifteen years later, Hervor sat at the feast. She whispered to her husband, when would Hydric, her favorite son, be here? Her husband's favorite son was at the seat of honor, and it seemed like there should really be two seats of honor because they had two sons, so... But Hofunder didn't respond. All right, everyone was here. Time for the feast to start. Hervor said, wait, was Hydric not invited? They heard the boom of the door flying open with a kick and the chill of winter air rushing into the room. Hydric might not have been invited, but he showed up. Well, 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 Hydric boomed, striding in. The greatest in the kingdom gathered, and where's my seat? He said with a stagger. He had really started in with the meat already. Get him out of here, Hofunder said about the younger son. The older brother rose and yanked a seat from the edge of the room. Right here, brother. Seat of honor, right next to me and dad, the older brother said with a smile. Hydric paused. Oh, Okay, cool. He, I, he thought he wasn't invited. Nice. He took a seat. You should fight him, Hydric suggested to one of the nobles later on that night. The younger son grinned as a spatter of blood caught his shirt from one of the nobles' noses. No, oh my gosh, stop it, the older brother screamed, pulling the nobles off each other. Hydric laughed, but his older brother turned to him. And you, stop encouraging nobles to fistfight each other. You've been doing it all night. That's like all you do. Hydric rolled his eyes. Whatever. After the older brother walked away with the noble, Hydric stooped down to where the victim laid on the floor. Man, was he really going to let that punk take him down like that? So easily? Two things happened next. The noble on the floor ran and tackled the one who had hit him. 
with Hydric's older brother and father, the king, pulling them apart. And Hydric was officially asked to leave. Walking from the party, shouts of mead-soaked jubilation echoed from inside. Hydric fumed. His mother didn't even come to his defense. His mother always came to his defense. She understood him, or so he thought. She said she had lived with it too. That feeling. The feeling of always being angry at everything. Like your skin was full of like broken glass or sand on the inside. You could never really be happy. She said for her, it went away when she discovered a purpose. Being awesome and fighting stuff. And when she learned to love his father. And him. But Hydric was so angry. His family hated him. His father did, at least. He wanted his father to feel even a fraction of his pain. But they were powerful. And because of them, Hydric wasn't. He took up a rock the size of a grapefruit and flung it through the window of the hall. And there was a dull thud. A crash. And then all music and merriment stopped. A man, the king, burst from the hall out into the snow with a half dozen people to keep him from attacking the smug Hydric. Hydric had killed him. Hydric said, Okay, he killed some noble or a servant. He pay the Weregeld? The king shook his head. No, there would be no Weregeld, only death, because Hydric had murdered his brother. Hervor took a deep breath. Her only remaining son would be okay. He would live. Hervor loved both of her sons. But Hydric was her son. He was like his mother. She understood his anger and pain better than anyone. He hadn't meant to kill his brother. He had just acted. But now the heir to the kingdom was dead. And Hydric had to pay for it. Luckily, he wouldn't have to pay with his life. Hervor had maneuvered Hydric's exile. The man would be fine. His place was in the wilds, exploring the worlds and raiding, not ruling from some great hall. Still, she didn't want things to end so terribly between Hofunder and his son, Hydric. She encouraged her husband to go give some final words to his son. He gave Hydric some rules he should follow if he wanted to be successful in life. I'll run through them super briefly. One, Give no help to a man who has slain his lord. Two, don't deliver a man who has slain his friend. Three, don't let your wife visit her kinfolk a lot, even if she begs. Hervor narrowed her eyes at that one. Wait a second. Four, don't be out late with your mistress. Okay, Hervor thought that they were definitely having a talk after this. Five, don't ride your best horse if you're in a hurry. And finally, six, never foster the son of a man more powerful than yourself. Hydric said he knew what was going on here. His dad was trying to trick him. He would help so many murderers, let his wife visit her family, and stay out late with his mistresses. He was so excited to never see this place again. Great, because that's banishment. You just described banishment. Hofunder yelled after his son. Bye forever. Hervor, the mother, shook her head and rushed off after her son. She found him in his quarters, getting ready to leave. He was in pain. His brother was his only friend, and Hydric had killed him. It had been an accident, but it was done. There was no coming back from something like that. 
On that day, Hervor had lost two sons. She exhaled. She knew what she must do. She approached the young man, an unhooked tearfing from her side. She couldn't do much for him, but she could help him out with this. It was his birthright, after all. She explained that it was her grandfather's sword, one from a grandson of Odin himself. She told him everything she herself knew about the sword and embraced him. She pressed two pieces of gold into his hand as well to aid him at the start of his journey. She hoped he, like her, was able to find his peace. Hey, what are you in for? Heydrich yelled out to the man who was having kind of a bad day. He was bound and being led to death by armed captors. The prisoner called back that he had killed his master and then paused a bit. Allegedly. Heydrich walked up to the men, the ones leading the captive, and flipped one of them a coin. Was this enough to buy the man's freedom? The men looked at each other and looked at Heydrich. Was he trying to bribe them? Because they loved bribes, they loved money. Thank you, yeah, take him, they don't care. When the prisoner was rubbing his recently unbound wrists, he turned to Heydrich, thanked the man. Was the man looking for a servant? Heydrich said, nice try. This man killed his previous master. He just freed the man because he hated his father. The prisoner, alone but free, waved goodbye to Heydrich thanked him and said he hoped Heydrich worked through his very obvious issues with his dad. He didn't, and when he saw a prisoner being dragged along because the man killed his friend, he spent the other half of his mom's kindness, despite his dad, and the man's second piece of advice. The guy's actually paying for his dad to live rent-free in his head. He traveled, alone, throughout Scandinavia, until the winds of winter began to blow. He found himself in Gotland, somewhere in Sweden, probably somewhere in Sweden, and decided to take up with King Harold for the winter. He hated his father, but not enough to not use the man's name to get a seat at the king's table for the winter. It was at one such dinner, with the fire roaring and warming the bellies full of mead, that the party heard a pounding at the door. Harold, buddy, where's my money, man? Emanated from the door. Harold chuckled nervously, just ignore that. Harold, getting real tired of you ducking me, man. It's not going to go so well for you if I don't get my money. You like not bleeding? Because you're not going to be not bleeding for long if we don't get what you owe us. That made sense, right? Everyone heard a high five from outside the door. Harold swallowed hard. Excuse him for a moment. After the sounds of pleading, punches, and the intruders telling the king he had until Friday, the monarch returned to the table, wiping blood from his face. That went better than he expected. Everyone resumed feasting. Everyone but Heydrich, who said, What was all that? The king said that oh, those were just some of his jarls. He owed them tribute. Heydrich noted that, uh, that was a little backwards. Didn't the jarls, the earls, usually pay tribute to the king? The king nodded. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But these guys, these guys made some persuasive arguments otherwise, with their fists and swords. They saw an opportunity when the king never had any sons, only one daughter, Helga. 
So they decided that instead of fighting amongst themselves or currying favor, they would just bully him for cash. And it was going pretty well. For them, Hydric asked the king why he didn't just raise an army and raise the Jarl's fortresses. Raise being a homonym, meaning to completely demolish. Harold said that he totally had. The first one, he raised an army. And they did not raise the fortresses. And afterwards, they added scuffing up their fortress walls to the bill. He was in a bad spot. Hydric laid a hand on Tyrfing, the sword. He could help the man out. And he did. One by one, the Jarls either got in line or died by Tyrfing. And soon, the king was actually the king again. The king was so grateful. And really not that great of a businessman. He straight up gave Hydric half of the kingdom. But he kept it in the family when Hydric was betrothed to Helga, King Harold's daughter. And then King Harold had a son after he had given away half of his kingdom. Great timing there. And Hydric and Helga had a child, who they named Arngrim, after Hydric's brother and also grandfather. I like to imagine that, even after everything, Hydric still thought about his brother, his only friend, with a sense of regret. Regardless, he had a life here. He had established himself, in spite of his father's actions and advice, had a wife happy family. Heydrich was happy. We'll see all Heydrich's fortunes turn, and then turn again, and then turn yet another time. But that will, once again, be right after this. Hydric might have been able to kill. That was what he did. That was the first line on his resume. But he couldn't create. He couldn't force a dry field to sprout crops. Well, he couldn't, but his son could. More specifically, his son's blood. You see, 10 or 15 years after Hydric joined the family, things were going well. The people loved him. His father-in-law loved him. He had a happy life with his wife and son. Now, though... Things got a little tight for the people. Drought led to famine. Famine led to unrest. One day, Harold, the king, entered the room with a grin. He had it. All their problems would be solved. Well, once they figured out what those problems were, which they would. Today. Hydric blinked. Uh-huh. And how would they know what those problems were? Harold gestured outside. Oh, she would tell them. Hydric pushed past the courtiers and hangers-on to see a seer standing before the people of the city, gathered for the announcement. She was going to tell them how to end the drought and bring back the flourishing crops. She said it was simple. Blood. Blood would allow the fields to bloom, and not just any blood. Noble blood. The most noble firstborn son in the land. The people cried out, Yes! This is what had to be done. Also, it wouldn't be any of their sons, so, you know, down for that. Heydrich turned to Harold. Oh, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. sorry. They both said at the same time. Wait, Wait why, why are, are you sorry? They said. Do you, Do you think, think that, that the most noble, noble son is my son? son? Oh. Seeing as the pair didn't want to fight in front of the kids, aka their subjects, who were so hungry that they were open to sacrificing all the nobles just to be safe, they took the fight inside, where it continued to rage. Harold, though, was better connected in the land, and 
through a confederation of nobles, put forth an idea. They would let another king decide. A neutral king. Heydrich said that? Okay, that sounded fine. Who did Harold have in mind? Harold said, how about King Hofunder? All the Jarls nodded in agreement. Heydrich said, his dad, the one who had banished him. How was that a neutral king? He put his hand on his sword, but saw that the Jarls weren't wavering. There was strength in unity. Heydrich could only kill with that sword of his, and what was he going to do? Massacre all the leaders in the kingdom? Did he want to rule alone without any infrastructure or support? He had to accept their ruling. He nodded. He would leave that day. It took a few months, but soon he crested the hill and looked on his home. He was allowed in the door because he was visiting on behalf of King Harold, and as Hofunder guzzled his mead, he said that this decision would be an easy one. A son for a son. Heydrich clenched his jaw so tight that he thought it might shatter when Hofunder quickly decided that Heydrich's son, his grandson, was the more noble son. He was the one that needed to die. Heydrich was about to draw Tierfing right then and there, but Hofunder continued. This is not something to be given away lightly, though, he added. In the kingdom of Harold, if Heydrich was to lose his son, he needed to gain power. Every fourth man on the king's council and every fourth guard at the sacrifice of the boy was to be put under the authority of Heydrich. As Hofunder made eye contact with the son, he swilled his mead and said that Heydrich shouldn't need to be advised on what to do after that. On the day of the sacrifice, Harold could barely hide his smile beneath all the mourning. Ah, so sad. This was a hard day for everyone, but they would heal. All right, let's go kill this kid. Heydrich walked alongside Harold to the altar, where his son, Arngrim, was bound. Despite facing his death, the child was stone-faced. Heydrich nodded. He was proud. Your dad must really hate you. Harold laughed, a son for only 25% of the council. What could 25% do? You're still outnumbered. Oh, you'd be surprised what one in four could do, Heydrich replied. And then a horn blew. Harold said that that wasn't on the program. Then he didn't say anything because Tierfing found his lungs. He dropped to the ground trying to scream out for someone to come to his aid, but fighting had broken out all over the grounds. The guards, hoping to come out to enjoy what was supposed to be a fun child sacrifice, were caught unaware by Heydrich's trained and prepared contingent of warriors. They fought, but Heydrich won the day. He declared the result of the battle as a sacrifice to Odin and picked up the blood-smeared crown from Harold's head. The entirety of the kingdom was his. So, this is actually a good place to stop the main story. Because, even though he had just murdered a king in cold blood, this is the most honorable Hydric is going to get. And frankly, kind of the best his story is going to get. Hydric is ascendant and claims one kingdom after another. 
no one stands in his way as he takes princesses by force to be his wives, kills women and children, and is just pretty terrible overall. None of those things actually led to his undoing. What proves to be his downfall are riddles. And it's not because he's bad at them. He's actually really great. And that's the problem. You see, like Wookiees in space chess, when it comes to Odin and riddles, you let the Odin win. Hydric had a deal in his kingdom. If someone did a crime, you could pay a wear guild, take the punishment, or challenge the king to riddles. And if you beat the king, you got to walk free. Well, it turned out that one of his enemies, a nearby king, wanted to be reconciled with him. So he took the riddle deal. The king was, of course, a long-bearded, one-eyed traveler. The riddles range from fairly clever to just descriptions of things. For example, from Christopher Tolkien's translation, we get, Would that I had now what I had yesterday. Find out what that was. Mankind at Mars, speech it hinders, yet speech it will inspire. This riddle ponder, O Prince Hydric. It is apparently ale, which I thought was moderately clever. Then we have, eight are its feet, eight are its eyes, and knees above its belly it bears. It's, it's a spider. It gets a little obscure too, and I won't bore you with the actual riddles, but the answers range from, quote, a dead horse on an ice float and another dead horse on a snake, which somehow Hydric got, and, quote, a duck that has built its nest between the jawbones of an ox. That common thing that we see all the time. These go on for so many pages until the stranger asks the equivalent of, what have I got in my pocket? I.e., something only he would know when he asks, quote, what did Odin say into Baldur's ear before he was born into the fire? Baldur being Odin's son that was shot by Loki and died. Hydric immediately unsheathed Tyrfing and cried out that only you, Odin, would know that, you vile creature and slashed at Odin. You see, Odin is a big fan of getting strong guys killed. That way they join him in Valhalla and await the end, but he thinks it's very much not cool for strong guys to kill him. The stranger turned out to be pretty nimble when he flipped back and transformed into a hawk, but Tyrfing caught his tail feathers, and that's why the hawk has a shorter tail to this day. Odin cried out that that was mean, he was mean. He wasn't invited to Odin's cool party now, huh? How you like that? No cake and juice and fighting and roof goat mead for you, Hydric. Hydric will be killed by his own servants. How you like that? Odin flapped out of the hall and left the stunned crowd. Yeah, when you think you might be in a riddle battle with Odin, you let the Odin win. As if Hydric was daring Odin to blink, or I guess wink, he conquered some more people, as you do, and assigned the conquer people to be his own personal slaves. They were from the West, so I'm assuming maybe Britain, and they, surprisingly, did not like being enslaved. And so they were going to do something about it. And they got lucky in that Hydric was arrogant enough to not only nap near them, but do so with a legendary fiery sword that cut through everything like a 9th century lightsaber right next to him. Cursed swords are going to cursed sword. And Tyrfing committed its second evil deed that day. Evil having a big old asterisk next to it. Because this guy was a murderer, conqueror, rapist, and a slaver. Tyrfing committed one final evil deed when Arngrim, Hydric's son, who avenged his father and took back the sword, 
fought his own brother, Hlad, for control of the kingdom. Hlad was one of Heydrich's sons through his non-consensual concubine. Brother slew brother, and the sword stopped glowing, becoming just a regular sword. And just like that, another remnant from the legendary age was gone. more to this story. If you're into watching our protagonist take young women and break them across his knee Bane style, because yes, he actually does that, Christopher Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien's son, has an excellent translation to the story. Real quickly, before the Creature of the Week, we have a new show out, and it's not Scoundrel. I mean, it is absolutely Scoundrel, but you probably already know that. Sidebar, if you're into death rays, double agents, and seemingly unkillable guys, please check out Scoundrel. Though we also brought fictional back. And if you don't know, fictional is a lot like myths and legends, but we adapt stories from literature and elsewhere in the public domain. This time, we told a few of the stories of Arsene Lupin, Gentleman Thief, who actually just got a TV show adaptation of sorts on Netflix. Fictional will be every two weeks, and if you're interested, you can just search for fictional wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link in the show notes. The creature this week is the Kaiban, from Filipino folklore. So, I'll admit it. I was that guy in college. In college, I tried to learn guitar to meet girls. I met Carissa before I actually learned, learned well, and she didn't care that I couldn't serenade her, so now that $70 acoustic guitar is sitting like five feet away from me right now, and I just keep it on display in my office to make people think I can play guitar. Anyway... The Kaiban also likes to use their guitar to meet women, but they are way better at it. They hang out in their trees at night, set the mood with some fireflies, hope you can ignore the fact that their feet face the wrong way, smirk at you with their solid gold teeth, and get to playing. They try, but for some, it might be hard to get over the fact that the Kaiban is the size of a human baby, so people might be charmed by it, but not overly attracted to it. And that's fine. The Kaiban hopes you know that he understands. And also that you enjoy your new skin disease, you monster, for rejecting his advances. That's right. Because he likes to nice guy people, he will get angry if people reject his overtures. And he'll blow powder in their faces, which causes skin disease. The only way to cure the skin disease is to find the Kaiban's bush and apologize to it. Yeah, apologize to it for not wanting to date it. The other way things can go bad for you is if you really want to see those gold teeth up close when they bite you. If you steal their children, the Kaiban will definitely take it badly and will come after you. So yeah, don't steal children and you're good. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>